Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Good morning out there, all you short-term shoppers. It's Avery Carl, and I wanted to give you guys a quick reminder about something that I don't think I've done a good enough job of keeping you aware of. So I get a lot of emails from y'all every week, and I love getting emails from you. By the way, I love talking to our listeners, and a lot of them are asking for real estate agent recommendations in different markets. And what I don't think I've done a good job of is making sure that you guys are aware that the short-term show is actually a subsidiary of the short-term shop, which is the largest short-term rental specific real estate team brokered by EXP. I have to say that or I get in trouble in the country. So we have offices in 12 of the top short-term rental markets in the country, and we are here to help you purchase your first, second, third, or 10th short-term rental. And if you buy with us in any of those markets, we have a whole back-end training program where we will teach you everything you need to know about managing your short-term rental remotely. Everything from setting up your Airbnb and VRBO listings to teaching you how to use all the property management software that you'll need, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners and handymen. And we have some awesome Facebook support communities that we want you guys to be a part of where we all share ideas and information about managing our short-term rental, which short-term rentals, which markets are the best, uh, what we're doing next, and all of that really fun stuff. So if you want to be a part of the short-term shop community, if you want to buy a house with us, we really want to help you guys. So head on over to the shorttermshop.com and click schedule a consultation. We'll see you there. If you invest in real estate or manage properties, you need banking that's truly built for your business. Many traditional banks make it difficult to sync banking information across many of the personal finance platforms that we as real estate investors use every day. This is why I recommend Relay. Relay is an online banking and money management platform that's a perfect fit for any real estate business. First, there are no account fees, no overdraft fees, and no minimum balances, which means you get to keep more money in your pocket. Relay also goes above and beyond the banking basics to help you understand precisely what you're earning, spending, and saving. You get up to 20 checking accounts to organize and allocate income for things like day-to-day expenses, investments, or taxes. And if you have multiple investment properties set up as separate business entities, that's no problem. Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access everything from one single login. Best of all, Relay makes your bookkeeping speedy and meticulous by giving you ultra-detailed transaction data and directly syncing it back to QuickBooks Online and Xero. The ability to have so many separate bank accounts and allocation options in my user dashboard has really transformed my personal banking experience. I will never go back. It takes 10 minutes to apply for a Relay account, and you can do it online at RelayFi.com slash the short-term shop. So again, for more information and to open an account, go to RelayFi.com slash the short-term shop. Hey guys, welcome back to the short-term show. Today, we are going to help you as potentially new or maybe seasoned buyers. We're going to go over a few mistakes that buyers often make. And to help me do that, we have Derek Tellier and Tim Grillo 
fun last names to say at the same time. Uh, these guys both own a lot of properties. They both also brokered a lot of short-term rental deals. So they have seen it all when it comes to successful buyers and unsuccessful buyers and what gets people hung up and keeps them from getting the good deals or keeps them from closing the good deals. So guys, thanks for coming on. How's it going today? Fantastic. Thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting Thanks for inviting me on. It's always fun to uh, get on screen and, and share some experiences and knowledge and hopefully get some uh, investors past some of the obstacles that they're you know trying to get past. Same. It's an awesome day here in the Smokies. <laughs> glad to be here and glad to help. Uh, this is all stuff I've uh, been through myself and uh, learned from my own mistakes. So it's, it's fun to share that stuff. So. Awesome. Awesome. So let's dive into it. I'll start with uh, point number one that I think a lot of investors, especially in 2022 here, a big thing that keeps people from getting deals or moving forward is that they psych themselves out by comparing this year to last year. So what I mean by that is in 2021, all the good properties or any property, even the not good properties, were getting hundred offers like right out of the gate every day every time something hit the market. Now the market has shifted and is more of a buyer's market, but I'll see investors all the time go, oh man, I love that one. That would be a great deal, but it's probably going to get a hundred offers. So I'm not going to waste my time. And I think that's the number one thing for me in 2022 that's keeping investors from being successful is by just not offering because it's not 2021 anymore. It is not... Uh, I've seen sometimes on my listings, I've seen a lot of buyers say, oh, it's probably got a hundred offers. I'm not going to offer. And we only got one offer. So uh, it's definitely important to not psych yourself out. What do you guys have to say surrounding that? Have you seen that? Totally, agree. totally agree. You got to be any, any investing there or any kind of business or anything you're running, you got to be a dynamic. Things change all the time and change quickly. And that's where, you know, we try and provide good value. We're here boots on the ground every day. Uh, these markets change fast. You know, it can happen overnight almost. And we've seen that a little bit. So we're constantly trying to stay on top of that and constantly uh, having these things change around us. Sorry, my phone's going off. Uh, so anyway, you know, just like what you said, things happen quickly. So talk to your agent and stay in communication with your agent because one month the next things can be different. And it is a great time right now. It is so easy to win right now. You know, I know this is going to be recorded. And I don't know when people are going to be hearing this, but right now is like awesome. I mean, it's like we can communicate with list agents. We can have conversations. We can have some negotiating and it's just a really good time to buy. It's a pleasant experience now compared to what it was. So. Well, and it's funny because a year ago or a year and a half ago, we were having the opposite conversation, right? Because there were hundreds of offers on every in every listing. And so many of our, our buyers had listened to a lot of podcasts, they listened to a lot of bigger pockets and a lot of all these other places that talked about how, you know, lowball the offer and then you try to find that gap in the middle. And it, and they were trying to do that to us when we there was just nothing there. There was there was no meat on the bone. We were just chomping at everything. And now here we are in 2022. And it's it's been a whole total 180 shift. There are great deals out there, and they just they're now they've they've switched their mindset. And as agents, we're probably guilty of creating some of this ourselves because last year we told them it's like let's not waste our time. We've got ten offers we're writing on this. It's just not worth it. And now we're trying to tell them, okay, it's a different time. It's a different era. Write the offer. The worst they can do is say no. I don't care how busy of an agent you are, how much volume you do. You're doing less business right now than you were in 2021. So most agents are still looking for, for more deals and we need to find deals. And if our buyers aren't willing to go ahead and submit an offer, 
then we're never going to get the deal. I'm a big believer in you are guaranteed not to get the offer you don't submit. So get past it, throw that offer out there. Your agents are going to be a lot more willing to do that for you today than they were a year ago. And there are absolutely sellers out there that are willing to negotiate. They haven't caught up with where the market's actually at. So they may not be advertising that they're going to take that low price, but I'm seeing it and hearing stories every day about people getting properties under contract at well under the list price. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't mean it's like some awesome, spectacular unicorn of a deal. You know, everything's relative. Interest rates are higher. Things are different, but it's still a better deal than what they were getting, you know, three, four months ago. And they can get a better deal than they think is actually out there. There, you just nailed something there that, you know, in that not all sellers know what's going on here. Not all this agents know what's going on with the market. So it's not a guarantee. It's not, it, we're far from a free for all buyer's market. You know, it's not like you're going to buy this thing for half a list price or anything like that. But, and it could even mean you may have to, you know, poke around at five different properties. Cause I mean, some, what we don't know is why people are selling. You never know that until you get into the deal, you know, and every deal is different. You know, not all sellers are selling for the same reason. So, I mean, some sellers are super motivated and some just aren't. And if they're not and the numbers don't work for you, move on to the next one. Well, yeah, and as agents, we can look, we can see the history. We know when they bought it. We know how long they've owned it. You know, a good agent is going to be able to do that research for you and help you understand. We may not get direct access to the actual seller to know what their true motivations is. And a good list agent's not going to give that information to us. But sure as heck, we want we can find out some underlying information. They've owned this house since 1988. It hasn't had any updates since 1988. They might actually be a little bit motivated to to sell. And I think we're seeing a lot of panic sellers right now. So just like there's a lot of uncertainty in the economy that's kind of making buyers nervous, I've seen sellers come to us and say, hey, we want to sell our property. And they're seeing six months ago what their neighbors got. They've seen that the market is changing. And so they're like, oh, crap, let me let me sell this real quick and try to capitalize on those high comps. So you never know what a seller is willing to accept. That was not the case last year, but this year it's a different game. And the sellers haven't quite caught up you're right Derek with uh with the change there are still a few of them that are thinking that it's still 2021 and those 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 will come around but it's definitely a much different game now than it was last year you guys are right about that so another point that buyers can get hung up with is getting caught up in the little things what does that mean to you guys uh I, you got to look at big picture. You got to look at the long term. Uh, we'll get up whether it's whether it's looking at the listing or whether it's waiting for inspection, and we're looking at things that we can recognize. Hey, this is going to cost us, you know, a thousand dollars to deal with, and they'll make such a big deal about it, uh, especially after inspection. More prevalent last year. This year we've got some negotiation, but they'll they'll be willing to walk away from a deal over something that'll ultimately cost them, you know, a thousand, even two thousand dollars. Because, and I recognize a lot of investors, this is, they might be their first deal and that may feel like a lot of money to them. But if you take back and look at the holistic big picture, what this, what's that $2,000 going to look like to me two, three years from now, I promise you it's not going to matter for good or bad one way or another, whether it's a great deal and it turns into a home run, whether it's just a steady deal or whether it turns into be an awful deal, that two grand was not going to make a difference. If you had or hadn't gotten it, the deal was going to be what the deal was going to be. So they, they'll just get caught up in, in something that has really absolutely no, you know, no leverage whatsoever in what this deal is going to look like in a year or two. 
Yeah, something I, I learned from a, another savvy investor is uh, one thing you're guaranteed with property is that you're going to put more into it <laughs> somewhere along the line. I think that guy was Derek that told me that. <laughs> so, uh, and that's absolutely true. And, you know, I mean, part of, you know, I'm quoting another famous podcaster here, but good. You know, I mean, if the, if the property needs some stuff, good, you're going to make it better than it was. And yeah, it may take some more money. And, uh, but you just got to take it as a, every time that I've put money into a property that I didn't plan on, it turned out better. And it's had, you know, it's compounded, you know, I mean, that's kind of the way I found the universe works. You know, when you, when you go at, if you walk into everything with a closed fist, uh, money can't come in either. If you're trying to keep money from going out, it can't come in either. So it, uh, it, it just, you know, don't be afraid to put some money into your properties. So, Oh, that was a great analogy. The closed fist. I haven't heard that one. I'm totally going to write that off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if it's tight yeah. going out, it's going to be tight coming in. And, uh, so yeah. you just gotta be, sometimes you gotta be willing to put it out there, you know? So, yeah, that was one of my first mentors when I started going to to RIA meetings and stuff. He always he always let off one of his disclaimer things was that the only guarantee when you buy real estate is that you're going to spend more money. So go in expecting that. I, I coach my clients all the time to tell them before you ever make an offer, make an assumption that you're going to put about 10 grand into this property for stuff that you you haven't even thought about yet. Never forget the inspection report. There'll be big stuff on there. I mean, just little stuff. You can see in the pictures that it needs furniture. Fine, factor all that in. But just assume with every offer that there's going to be another 10 grand after that inspection that you're going to spend. If you go in with that mindset, then you won't be bothered as much when you get the inspection report and you stupid stuff. I mean, and listen to your agent. You know, I know here in the Smokies, and I think it's probably the same everywhere because um, I see it in the Smokies. I see it in Alabama and every agent I talk to sees the same thing. There are certain things that are just on every inspection report everywhere in the country. And if you haven't bought a lot of houses, you may not recognize that. And as agents, we're guilty sometimes of not preparing our clients for this is what you should expect. I know a few agents that are excellent about that. And I'm not very good about that. I wait till after they get the report. But you know, just so anybody listening, prepare yourself, your toilets are going to be loose. And it's going to and it's going to sound like the floor is rotted out underneath it. It's not a big deal. Every single Every single toilet in the Smokies is loose. Every single toilet in Gulf Shores is loose. Every, I think every home in the country, there are just little things that sound like a big deal that there's just not, they're common. So when your agent says, look, this is common. I'm not a contractor. I can't tell you that there's something wrong or not, but don't worry too much about it. If it concerns you, let's get a contractor out there and get an actual quote, but don't get too hung up in something that is perfectly normal. That if you had an inspection done on your own house, half of this stuff would show up. That's Derek, you just nailed something. Uh, you know, I've actually had, you know, suggested to clients to do exactly that. Go get a home inspection done on your own house. It's a $500 investment in your uh, investor uh, education. You know, it get, it, it'll open your eyes to what shows up on inspection reports, you know, to get it done in your own home and realize that you're living in that, you know, and it's not that big of a deal. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean it's not, you don't want to address it, but it's not like the house is falling down. So. Yeah, I, I actually am guilty of making that mistake. So on, it was our, I think we did, we did it on several of our first deals. Actually, we were buying a house that it had been on the market for six months at 175,000. And I, I feel guilty even saying that out loud now, because that's so cheap compared to what prices are now, but 175,000, we got another 12,000 off. So we we're at like 163 and 
we were really, really hung up on the water heater being at the end of its useful life. It wasn't broken yet, but it was at the end of its useful life. And we were like, we really need an extra 1500 bucks for this water heater. We're going to walk away from the deal. And looking back on that now, like that house grossed us $80,000 last year for 163,000. And looking back, I just want to smack myself about the water heater. Like, how dare you look that gift horse in the mouth like that? But you know, you don't, you don't know. I was brand new. I had no idea. And it was such a big deal to me at the time. And looking back, uh, I, it, it just wasn't. And I, I stressed myself out for no reason. I think, so. we've all, I think we've all been there and I think we've all done exactly that. And, and that's part of human nature, you know, and, and it is, it is a fear thing, but that's also, I mean, this stuff dealing, just dealing with hot water heater and going out is part of your college education, you know, uh, and doing this, cause you're going to have to do that. And once you do it once, it's not as big of a deal the next time. And then it gets easier and easier and easier. And the stuff just, it starts to go by the wayside. So. Well, I, and I got a very similar story in my very first short-term rental that I bought same exact deal. And uh, I was buying it. This was a one bedroom. So a little bit smaller than the one you're talking about, Avery, but I was under contract at $145,000 and uh, it needed a lot of updates. It, it had it'd been same owner for seven years. It hadn't been well taken care of. And uh, I, I, I was so horrible. I was, and I was the agent, I was the buyer and my own agent. So the poor list agent was like ready to smack me because it was an as is offer. And I came back with this like laundry list of all this stuff that's wrong and this needs to be fixed and that needs to be fixed. And fortunately, I came to my senses. There was one major issue that we did end up working out and getting resolved. And I even was willing to increase the price to compensate for him. I said, look, I understand. I'll pay for this. We just need to work it into the price. And the seller at the time was scared to raise the price by $10,000 because he was afraid it wouldn't appraise. At $150,000, he was afraid it wasn't going to appraise. So that gives you an idea of what things things have changed. But ex I was in the exact same scenario. And as agents, and if you're an agent out there and you're also a buyer in another market, let me tell you right now, you don't realize it. You're your own worst enemy. Because as agents, we are so bad about not taking our own advice. As a buyer, I am, I, when I work with my buyers, I will stop thinking about this. You're overthinking it. When I'm the buyer, all of a sudden I'm overthinking it and I'm being that pain. And uh, so as agents, take a step back and look at yourselves. You may be your biggest enemy and uh, listen to your agent because someday it might be reversed. Maybe they're buying in your market and I guarantee you're going to be uh, correcting them. I actually did walk away from my, my, and I still kick myself. I walked, I had a five bed, five bath as my first one under contract for I think 525 uh, in the Smokies. And I walked away because I needed $20,000 of the foundation work and it terrified me. And I would take that deal right now in a heartbeat. <laughs> That's a little more, could go either way though. It is. Sure. Yeah. That's but, a much uh, yeah. bigger deal. Knowing what I know now, I would uh, take it in a heartbeat. Yeah. And guys, like we are by no means contractors are telling you to not take stuff on your inspection report. Seriously, we're just trying to to paint the picture of like, don't get caught up in the in the little bitty nitpicky stuff. Absolutely. And don't be afraid to ask too. I mean, you know, the other side of that is we can't ask for stuff. We just yeah. gotta be mobile about it. And we have to, you know, are, you have to ask yourself, are you really going to walk away or not? Or are we just asking, you know? So. Yeah. That's a really good point, Tim, because by not worrying about it doesn't mean you're not necessarily asking for it. It just means that in your brain, in your private brain, that you are not conveying to the seller that, okay, this isn't a big deal, but I am going to ask for it. Just see if I can get it. You always want to see what you can get, but we're just talking about for your emotional state. Don't get too yep. hung up on it. Yep. 
And speaking of emotional states, point number three that that uh, buyers are their own worst enemy about to put put it the way Derek did is getting too emotionally tied up in the property. What does that mean to you? Uh, especially if it's your first and but I've seen I've seen buyers who are buying their fifth or sixth that still can't seem to detach from the fact from this is an investment. If you're buying an investment property, treat it like an investment. Now, that's a lot easier to say than it is to do. I think we're all going to be emotionally attached to everything you know we buy in the early years. At some point, you probably do get past it. Um, and some people never will. Uh, I still get a little bit of an attachment to certain things, but you just have to look at it. Look at the numbers. Do the numbers make sense? Don't get caught up in, is this property the perfect property for me all the time? Uh, one of my favorite things I would do with clients because they're looking at a vacation rental, right? So they're, they're looking at this as they actually do want a vacation there. It's not just an investment. There is a personal tie to it, but I'll come back to them every time when they start asking, well, this wouldn't fit my family if I came. And what is your number one priority? Is this an investment first and maybe something you get to use? Or is this a vacation home first that you hope to make some money on? Most people say it's an investment first. Well, if it's an investment first, don't worry about whether it fits the needs of your family, because here's the reality of it. We're in vacation markets. We're talking about short-term rentals specifically, obviously. You're in a vacation market. There are thousands of other rentals that you can rent. And a large majority of the people who own those rentals are not running them like a business, which is what we help teach people how to do, learn how to run it like a business. So if you're running it like a business, go rent somebody else's house for a fraction of the price of what you can make on your property. Don't worry about it if it doesn't fit your needs. Just go, just buy it, make the money, let the bank account take care of the rest. 100% guilty of that, uh, of every bit of that doing that. Uh, you know, everyone I go to buy, I have it half what I'm going to do to it before I even write the offer, you know, and, and it, it just messes you up. And uh, wait till after you're under contract, at least, <laughs> and preferably after you close, you know, and there's just, Derek pretty well nailed it, but you know, originally, you know, my dream was to own short-term rentals all around the country, and I'm just going to travel around and visit them when they're not rented. And now I don't, I don't even want to go to mine because all I want to do is work on them when I'm there. So if I want to go on vacation, I'm renting someone else's. <laughs> I'm not as guilty of that. I actually stayed at one of my one of my properties this week for a few days, and uh, I didn't do anything. Uh, I, I had a few ideas and I had a few notes that I made about stuff to get done. But I was like, I'm, I'm not I'm not working on it while I'm here. This is just another place for me to stay. My wife wouldn't let me take tools one time. To I, I am on Team Patty there. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I snuck out early the next day and went to Lowe's and bought like $400. It's only a cause of divorce. So. <laughs> yeah, and that's Man. hard. That's hard because I'm the Derek in this scenario and Luke is the Tim. And so when we go to our place in the Forgotten Coast, that's the one we use the most. And we're like trying to have a beach vacation with the kids. And Luke is like working on everything. He'll disappear for like 10. I'll be right back. I got to go to the bathroom. And then he's gone for two hours working on something. Like, can you like hang out? We're hanging out. This is a hangout trip. So, but back to what we were talking about. There are, you can get emotionally involved and negatively affect yourself in either direction. So there have been times that I have gotten to the point of tears over a property because I was so in love with it because I liked it for my family. It fit for us and it would be, and I was, you know, picturing having holidays there, but then there was like this terrible septic problem that could not be remedied. And I was cried over it. But another thing that you, you can go the other direction there. So if you are thinking, 
oh man, this is going to be such a money-making machine. This is going to be the best deal. And you're already, you've got the cart before the horse about how much money you're going to make. And then something pops up that is really detrimental to the deal that would really affect your cash flow. But you're already so over here ahead of yourself on how much you're going to make that you potentially make a bad decision about moving forward because you're so emotionally invested in what you want it to be. So whether that's for your family or whether you just really want to be a short-term rental investor and you really want to get that cash flow going, that you might overlook something that is potentially a big deal. Uh, the biggest one that I can think of is back when we had an office in Nashville, when people were just, everybody was swarming, wanting to buy short-term rentals in Nashville. And they would know, hey, you know, there's there's some legislation on the table that might be changing this, that could change it for you. And they were just so hung up on, no, I'm going to have something in Nashville and I'm going to be making all this money that they took that chance. And sometimes they won and sometimes they lost and they weren't able to do what they needed to do with the property down the road. So whatever emotional tie you have, whether it's to, you know, having a place for your family or to wanting to like put yourself in this position of being able to call yourself this investor, make sure that you're making good decisions and not basing them on emotion, basing them on fact. There will always be another deal. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, one key you mentioned there is is balance, right? There has to be some balance because you have to look at it analytically and you have to make sure it makes sense. You have to make sure you're confident in your numbers. You have to make sure you know what you're getting, you know what your risks are, but you also need to make sure that there's that little bit of, of personal aspect of it to make sure that you do understand that are you comfortable with this? Are you going to be able to sleep at night? That's an emotional aspect of it. The numbers can all make sense, but if you can't sleep at night because it scares you too much, then, then, then back off a little bit. You have to find that balance between the two. We're not robots. Uh, we're not, most of us are not so analytical that we can only look at the numbers because if you do just look at the numbers, you can end up buying a bad deal. So you, you've got to balance between the two. So I think the key is, is don't get too emotionally tied on any one side. Don't go to the extremes. Just keep yourself in those lines. Yeah, I think that uh, that balance is uh, just like a little bit of horse sense, so to speak. Like you want it to be, a, you don't want to get too attached to it, but you do want it to be a place that you would want to stay because if you would want to stay there, then other people are going to want to stay there. So you do have to kind of use some of that, just a little bit of that, uh, would I stay here sense to make sure that you're buying something that's in line with what a guest would want to stay in for sure. Yeah, I think too, you know, you kind of, this is a little tangent, but uh, home run hitters strike out a lot, <laughs> uh, you know, so in what Avery is saying, looking at too, like making it too good of a deal uh, and trying to, and sometimes you miss things, you know, you can miss, you miss details. It's not, you know, most, most time if it's too good to be true, it is, you know, uh, we can, there's a lot of money to be made in these things, but if it's coming back, you know, 75% cash on cash or something crazy, you know, there's probably something in the background, either it's high risk, like what you talked about with uh, regulations or something else, uh, you know, solid base hits and doubles go a long way to, to making a good career out of this, so. All right, so another one that's kind of similar to the emotional thing is, and maybe we should just keep this under the same point, not sure, it'll just depend on we, on, if we're going to number it four points or five for the title of the episode, but uh, the feeling like you have to win the not seeing the forest for the trees. So what I mean by that, and you guys probably have some examples is that, you know, feeling like you have to get the last word in with the seller or the buyer. If you're the seller, I was recently 
representing a family member on the sale of something. And we got a few good offers, a few good cash offers with no contingencies, like right out of the gate. And then she wanted to wait and see what else came in. So we waited to see what else came in. And then we got a really, really good offer, like 300,000 higher than anything else we had. It was also cash, but it was a 1031 exchange where they had to sell two properties in order to buy hers. And uh, she got them up to, or we were able to get them up to a higher number than I ever thought was going to be possible on this deal. And at the end of the day, she, she just, she told him, well, I'm going to let this expire. I'm going to need a week to think about it. And I was like, well, you know, why, why are you doing that? You've got a great deal here. And she said, well, I just feel like they've been in the driver's seat this whole time. So I'm trying to take some of my power back. And I'm like, oh my God. And then we did not, the deal did not happen. So, uh, you know, you losing sight of the true purpose of either buying or selling it because you're trying to make a point with somebody else is not always in your best interest. What do you guys have to say about that? Yeah, a lot of newer investors, especially, um, will get caught in that, that feeling like they have to win. Um, they, they have to, you know, they, they asked for 5,000 and, you know, maybe the seller came back with 2,500 and they go, well, I want three. It's like, it's $500, but they just feel the need to do that. I'm a big believer. When I started really educating myself about investment and getting into investing and getting into real estate, um, a lot of things came back to me is that it's, it has to be a win-win situation. Your goal as an investor is to find a scenario that is a beneficial event for everybody involved. The buyer gets what they want. The seller gets what they want. The agents involved, everybody is getting something out of it. And so many people lose sight of, of that balance of trying to find where, you know, the feeling like they have to get that last word. They have to be the one that won it. And it really, it, it creates a lot of things. One, it creates a lot of negative animosity. So what happens if you're having that conversation during the inspection and you feel like you had to win and you pushed and now the seller is not happy and frustrated with you and all of a sudden the appraisal comes in a little bit low. Now what? Now you're giving up all the things you argued about if you want to get the deal and, and the deal could easily blow up and the seller's not even willing to talk to you about it because you aggravated them on the front end. Let the seller feel like they're getting something too. In a lot of cases as buyers, we are the investors. A lot of our sellers are not investors. Be the smart investor and recognize, know what you're actually trying to accomplish and, and let it lead to make sure that you're getting what you need and start feeling like you have to win. You may end up coming out further ahead by letting the seller feel like they won because the seller may feel like they won, but you actually got what you were after. And now the seller is like, likes you and you might get something bonus on top of it. What's one of the best things we all learn as investors at the closing table, before the closing table, if you're buying something from somebody, do you have anything else to sell? Well, if you aggravated that seller, they're not going to want to sell you anything else. They don't want to go through that with you. But if you were friendly with them and you let them win, they feel like they won. They're going to be right out to give you that next deal too. And that can happen with agents as well. You know, make no mistake. Agents have a lot of control. Uh, for good or bad in a lot of these situations. And as a buyer, you want not only your agent to like you, but you want the list agent to go, hey, this guy was easy to deal with. Because if you're planning to come back and buy again that market, most markets have a few list agents that do a lot. They'll remember you and they'll remember if you were a pain of a buyer or not. So let the seller win. Let the list agent win a little bit. When you give up a few hundred bucks, it's, not a, it's nothing in the big picture. Being a savvy investor, you need to define what, what is your win? You know, what does that even mean? 
And, and really, if you're breaking down to it, we're all, we're all in this trying to, you know, help our, our money grow, you know? And so at the end of the day, you know, doing the old, you know, the detachment and stepping back from the emotional, this, this, this subject touches like everything we've talked about, you know, it touches the small stuff. It touches the emotions. It touches market shift. It touches all this stuff. Detach from the situation and look at, you know, what, what does winning even mean for you? Because you can get caught up in the squibble of the emotional in the moment stuff, you know, at the end of the day, if you're, if you're making the return that you want, or even an acceptable return, uh, you know, like Derek said, let the other person win or whatever you want to call that. They, they need to get something out of it too. They're, they're, they're selling the house for a reason. You know, we're not trying to, it's not a who screwed whoever over more. And that's the winner. You know, you're, if you walk away from a deal, with something that's making you money, you want, period. I'm really having to take a lot of this conversation to heart right now because this is being done to me at the moment. So I've got a, a house in a neighborhood and uh, I ran into one of the neighbors probably uh, two months ago. And she mentioned that she might be interested in selling her property. And I said, oh, I'd be interested in buying that. They just had a death in the family and it, their, their dad had owned it for a really long time. And I said, I'd definitely be interested in that. And she said, oh, you would. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, okay, let me just get your number. I'll get it appraised and then we'll go from there. And I said, all right, great. And uh, I checked in about a month later and I'm very like hyper aware of trying not to pester and like annoy people. So I sent her a really cute picture of our three-year-old. And I was like, hey, you know, picture of the cute three-year-old because hopefully I'm not annoying you. Uh, just checking in, just wanted to see, you know, what's, what's going on, you know, what the status is with the appraisal. And she was so mean back to me. She was like, cute kid, but yeah, you are pestering me. I told you that I would let you know when I got it and I will. And so I was like, all right. I was like that Homer Simpson gif, like backing away into disappearing into the bushes. And I was like, all right, so I'm going to leave this alone. So she texts me yesterday and she goes, Hey, I got the appraisal back. And she told me what it was. And I was like, great. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll give you cash. We'll close next week. And I said, can I call you in 45 minutes to discuss? And she said, yeah, call me when convenient. And so I called her and she's like, uh, yeah, well, you know, I think I'm going to list it just to make, just to see what the market will bear. And I think the appraisal was lower than what it should have been. And um, so I'm just going to list it and see what interest we get. Cause I'd like to be fair to everyone who might be interested in the property. And I'm like, then why the hell did you just text me and tell me what the appraisal was? And I really wanted to just, you know, I kind of explained to her that like, you know, there is value to me in this, in this lot. So I, I'll go above what your appraisal was. And, you know, you're already saving uh, some other, other places with commission and things like that. So, you know, we're already a little, you know, at least 50 grand ahead of, of your appraisal. If you were, if you were to list it right now. And she was like, well, no, I think I'm going to list it. And I said, okay, well, you know, what number would make sense for you to just sign a contract with me today? Well, I haven't thought about it and I'm, I've been on vacation for two weeks and I haven't thought about it. So I'm just going to keep thinking about it. I'm just going to list it. And everything in me wanted to just shake her and say, like, it's not 2021 anymore. You, you know, this, and, you know, give her all of these reasons, all this logic as to why she should just sell it to me. But I didn't, I just said, all right, then, you know, I appreciate you letting me know and I'll wait for it to hit the market. I'll keep an eye because I don't want to screw myself out of getting it later just by, you know, being able to stick it to her for being a jerk to me on, on text and for toying with my emotions, so to speak. So Anyway, it can happen but to the most experienced she punched investor. Cute, she punched your cute baby. Yeah. 
know. And you know, and and the, here's how you're gonna look at it. You got to look at it. I'm a big believer in karma. So my feelings on that, I'm gonna look at that as to say, let her list it. And two months from now, when she still hasn't sold it, she's gonna call you and say, hey, so are you still interested? And suddenly your price is gonna be fifty thousand dollars lower, and you know she's gonna end up selling it to you. So you're gonna end up with a better deal on this house. We hope. We hope, but I'm just, uh, just got to wait and see. I do. You're emotional. You're emotionally attached. I am. I am. But I did not, <laughs> I did not act on my emotions. I acted using my brain because I just wanted to be like, why are you being such a BIT? That's, you know? It's tough. So. It's tough. It's a tough, this is a struggle. <laughs> and, and, and here's a good point. We're, we're, we're talking, we're talking to everybody out there who's listening to this as, as maybe a new investor or a semi-experienced investor. And we're trying to explain to you, don't let these things, you know, affect you too much, but here's the reality of it. The important thing is to be conscious of it. Cause as you can clearly see the most experienced of us all deal with this, we all go through it as well. So it's not that you should be able to turn it off and the most experienced investors can. It's acknowledging it, seeing it, knowing what it is, calling it out for what it is. So at least you recognize why you're doing it, where it's at. And it helps give you a little bit control of yourself back. Detachment is one of the best things you can do for that. I mean, when you're, when you're in battle and you're right up on it, that's all you can see. You know, if you can take one or two steps back from the front line of what you're dealing with, everything looks different, you know, and uh, it's hard, you know, and you have to be just like Derek said, being conscious of it. Everybody does it. We all get caught up in it. We've been telling stories this whole time about all of us making, doing this stuff. So we all do it. It's just learning to detach to me has been the biggest thing. It's like, take three steps backwards and take a breath and look at the situation, sleep on it. You know, uh, so sometimes that can just letting your emotions calm down can change a lot of stuff. So. Okay. We've talked a lot about emotions and wanting to win and things like that. Let's talk about numbers. So the last point, and I think everyone listening who's ever listened to any real estate podcast before knew this one was coming analysis paralysis. What do you guys think? Tim, <laughs> well, uh, kind of similar, you know, I mean, it changes, you know, the numbers change all the time. The situations change, uh, the economy changes, you know, we're in a changing economy right now. And what was a good number four years ago, may be different now. You may want to settle for less or you may want more, you know, and so you got to be dynamic with it. But the important thing is, is again, backing away and saying, what's the win? And then looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, okay, and what's the win and what's realistic? You know, uh, again, if I'm looking for 50% cash on cash, is that realistic? Was it possible at one time? Yeah. Yeah. It's been possible. Is it possible again? Yeah. You want to sit around and wait for that? We, you know, that that's the crystal ball that you can get hung up in and never take action. Uh, I found with real estate, just getting up every day and taking action on something uh, makes a big difference. And, uh, and, you know, if you, if you buy something that's, you know, uh, a lower cash on cash. The awesome thing about real estate is it usually always comes around and, and it, it does fluctuate and it's going to change, but don't get hung up in it, you know, and, and don't sit there and wait, wait for the, 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 the home run all the time because it, they do come around. Um, but in the meantime, you've been making money on, on, a, on a base hit or a double. So trust the process you know, here, and this is the thing with everybody gets into it. Where, what is the underlying cause of analysis paralysis? It's fear right? Underlying all of this stuff is fear. It, what can go wrong? This is why people get analysis paralysis. Well, what if the numbers don't work out? What if at, you've got to trust the system and look at what 
hundreds of thousands of other people have been doing this for centuries. You know, real estate is not a new concept in 2021, 2022, right? It's been going on forever. The numbers change, the dynamics change a little bit, but the general process is still the same. It's not that complicated. It's not that difficult. And I was right there. I was a W-2 employee grinding away. I had Luke in my ear trying to tell me to buy a cabin, to buy a short-term rental in 2016. And in my brain is just total paralysis. I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me. You know, it took a while for me to get past it. But once you do, all you have to do is look at the stories of many of our clients, agents, anybody, any investor out there, get on any podcast and listen to a story. And you will hear from somebody who started out with complete paralysis and was very successful at following very simple steps. So that is how you get past analysis paralysis to me is break it down into a simple system, trust your numbers, make sure your numbers are sound, talk to smart people who have done it before to make sure you're not throwing something out there that's just out there. And it will, some of it will depend on your personality. Are you super analytical that you need spreadsheets and numbers? They'll make sense. Now we can easily make them make sense, but the make, you know, understand that some of us are gut feeling. I'm a gut feeling guy. I do not do a ton of analysis on anything that I buy I have a good instinct about it and it's worked well for me to this point. Will it someday bite me? Yes, absolutely. Guaranteed it's going to. But by going forward and scaling up, you can absorb those a little bit more. So, but your first step, you, you don't you don't win a marathon by waking up and going running a marathon. You slowly train, you slowly take steps. It's a few steps at a time. It's got to build. So the analysis paralysis is always going to come in on that front end. Just go out there and take the first steps. And at some point, you're going to have to buy a property. You're going to have to do something to get things moving forward. So you just got to step in there and do it at some point. And it's, and it's a challenge and it's hard to overcome, but it works. And there's hundreds of thousands of people out there that can show you that it works. You, all you got to do is look around and see all the people that are doing this and making great money doing it to recognize that, you know, that there's, op that there's opportunities out there. And, you know, Tim hit on it. Things change, you know best time to buy real estate was 20 years ago. Well, the second best time is today because there's always deals out there. There's always something out there that makes sense. Yeah. And you like, may have to look a little harder at different times, but there's always something. It just might be absolutely. a little harder to find. And also too, you want to make sure if you don't know when you're analyzing what all you need to have on your spreadsheet, just ask ask other people, ask other people who own things already. I was talking to an investor the other day and he in his cash on cash return was calculating things like what his travel cost was to go view the property, was calculating what his price per hour was to analyze these properties and factoring that. He calculated the time that it that he took to calculate what his time was. And I'm like, man, you are never gonna find like, all of these things are not normal things that go into cash on cash return. So if you're trying to find something that meets any kind of criteria with all of these extra things that don't really need to be in there, you're going to have a really, really hard time doing it. So you want to make sure that you're only analyzing things that are truly a part of that. And so just ask other people who are further ahead of you in the game, what they do, what they use and, and learn from where they've been already. And recognize, it, know yourself too. If you're that person that can't get past that, then maybe self-managing and buying a short-term rental is not the best asset class for you. 
There are plenty of other ways to invest in real estate and to get tax benefits without being actively involved, syndications and, and funds and all kinds of stuff that are out there. So if know yourself, don't let analysis paralysis get you to the fact of, you know, you heard a bunch of podcasts and you heard that multifamily or short-term rentals or whatever is like the way you've got to go, but your personality is just not set up for that. Then go find another go find another option. There's great options out there. There's tons of ways to invest, and a good savvy investor is not 100% in all one category. You know, I mean, I'm diversified a little bit. I know Tim is. I know you guys are, Avery. I mean, you have to be diversified. Find the niche that works for you, and and if it's not short-term rentals, then don't try to turn because you will you will get forever analysis paralysis if you're trying to create something that is just does not sit well with your with your mind. Analysis isn't a one size fits all thing either. You know, I mean, very, you touched on a few things, very few people even capture everything, even when they think they are, you know, and, and some people need the tax benefits more than others. Some people can use them. Some people can't use them. There's, there's a lot of other things to real estate other than just the things that usually end up on the spreadsheet. And, and it's, it is dynamic, even when you don't plan on it being, I mean, your career changes with it as, as you grow with it. So what it is today is going to be different tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I can certainly say the way I analyze a property now, what I'm looking for today is way different than what I was looking for when I started in this. Uh, you know, like you guys, Avery, my wife and I, when we bought our first triplex, our first long-term model, we were terrified. And it was, it was 150 grand for a triplex. And we were terrified. And we ran the numbers upside down and sideways. And we, we bought it. And it's doing things that we could never imagine back then, you know, so you're going to grow with it and you're going to learn with it. And uh, it's, it goes back to, you know, if you don't take action, you never, you never really truly learn and, and what, it, you know, what it takes. And all of our mistakes are our biggest blessings because, you know, we wouldn't be where we are without them. And uh, you work through them and push past it and keep going. That was an excellent closing remark for the podcast. So I don't want to make this thing too long because we could sit here and continue talking about this all day, but I think that we've condensed it into uh, a palatable length for people without losing losing uh, attention span. So guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Y'all listeners, if you want to reach out to Tim and Derek, um, just find us in the Facebook group, the Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth Facebook group. And everybody in there is really happy to, to answer questions and help anybody who might be newer and just doesn't quite know which way to go. So thank you guys so, so much for coming on today. No, thank thank you. you, Avery. Appreciate it. Oh, fun talking to you. <laughs> Bye, y'all. See you. Bye.